This sermon is from the new series, Overcoming Evil. We hope and pray that this message will deepen your love for Jesus and give you the courage to overcome evil with good. As we continue our series of Overcoming Evil, Romans chapter 12, begin reading verse number 9. This morning we're going to talk about overcoming evil with love. And uh, we see in verse number 9 of Romans 12, words will be up on the screen also, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Uh, Last week we launched our new series of overcoming evil from Romans chapter number 12. We looked at how this is God's word to his people in the light of the what was happening in Rome. We did a lot of uh, historical kind of background and kind of trudging through that, and you listen so well. See, God's people had endured the catastrophe of the leader of Caligula, and now they were going through the present nightmare of Nero, and these were, these were God's words as he was trying to encourage, and that's when this letter was written during the leadership of Nero. Uh, we looked also at these words in Romans 12 from the perspective of Romans 1 through 11, and uh, the first part of this book of Romans tells us what it means to be in Christ, and so speaking against the dark background of Rome and then the glorious background of the life of Christ, in life in Christ, God says in verse number 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Last week we saw that good news that the evil that you have suffered in your life is not something that has to define you. If you've suffered a great evil, and we went through a myriad of those, you know how easy it is for that evil to overcome you. You know how easy it is for that to begin to define you, for it to begin to kind of shape the way you think and shape the way that you live. And it can also dominate your very own life, the evil that's been maybe in the world or has been brought upon you in your life. And so the story of the church, it gives remarkable testimony of how this all can, how it worked out. See, the light of the gospel did shine in a very, very dark place. And guess what? The darkness, it didn't overcome the evil. If you were to look for the, uh, for the empire of Rome, guess what? It's dead and gone. But the church, it's still alive and it's still doing well and to the glory of God. And so evil can be overcome with that which is good. And so over these weeks, we're going to look at everything that leads up to that verse of how do you, how do you overcome that evil? Where do, we, where do we begin here this morning? But before I start, what I want you to do is I want you to try to take yourself back to what those early first century Christians would have been like. I want you to, I want you to kind of try to transplant yourself there. And I want you to imagine here this morning that you are in a focus group, and I am the leader of that focus group. We are in the first century, we are in the early church, we're under the leadership of Nero, 
And I want you to kind of begin to think of how would we have in that day, or you, how are we going to overcome that? How are we going to overcome the great evils of the day in which we live? And if you had a pad of paper and if you had a pencil, what would you write down? How are we going to how are we going to overcome this evil? How are we going to overcome the, uh, the, the darkness around us? I wonder what you would list. If you had an opportunity to speak or if you had an opportunity to write something down and maybe that be read, what would be on your paper of how you could overcome the evil in which that first century was living in? Let me flip the coin on you. What about the day in which we live in today? What would you list? What would you write down maybe on the, on the back of your worship guide of some different things? Well, let me give you some things that I would put on my list. How about we need to pray? You think that'd be a good one? I mean, we, I mean, we're talking about overcoming evil. We need to pray. How about we need to raise up godly leaders in every sphere of life? in the schools, in the business, in the arts, in the politics, and we could go on. That'd be, a, that'd be a good goal, right? How about we need to teach our children the difference between right and wrong? We need to ground this next generation in the truths of the Scriptures. Or how about this one? We need a new surge of evangelism and church planning. These would all be good things that certainly I wrote down and all of these are good and necessary things. But none of them are what God says here in Romans chapter number 12. So where should we begin? Well, let's start in verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Christians loving each other, hear me, Christians loving each other probably wouldn't have gotten very high, in a sense, on the priority list of counteracting and fighting against the evil of this world. So it's very striking to me when God lays out the steps that leads to overcoming evil that he begins with the concept of love. And can I say this? Let love be genuine. Let it be genuine. If you want to overcome evil with good, this is where you must begin. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is penning this letter to a first century Christian, to a first century believer that is experiencing such evils. And we talked about it last week. I won't go through all of those. When evil is all around, we should love one another. Now listen, this is what we can do because we're in Christ, because of chapter 1 through 11, because we are given his righteousness in Christ, because there's no condemnation in Christ, because we've been justified in Christ or in Jesus Christ. You and I, because we are Christians, we can love in a genuine way. It says they're without dissimulation. In other words, we don't, we don't pick and choose. We love. It's just, it's just a genuine one to everybody around us. Love must be sincere. It must be authentic. There must be no pretense. 
No play acting. Nothing fake. Nothing false. It's got to be real. Your love, hear me, has got to be the real deal. This kind of love, I'll be honest with you, it's immensely attractive. It's what people really in this world that has such cheap love, that has such cheap commitment. Pastor Mike pre- uh, preached on it a couple weeks ago. Just the, just the cheapness of the, of the world's love out there. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for genuine, authentic love. It draws people. And so the plain implication of let love be without dissimulation is that in the course of our lives, we're going to come across something that's not real. Something that's not genuine. And you and I, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to learn on what the real thing is. So let me ask you a question. So what does genuine love look like? What does it look like? I mean, if, we're, if we are to, if we're to love without dissimulation, if we're going to have to have a genuineness to our love, what does it look like? Well, let's look at, first of all, what culture says. Culture says acceptance and affirmation. If you really love me, you must accept and affirm me as I am. They say, don't attempt to change me in any way, because if you do that, you are not accepting me, and therefore you do not love me. That's what culture says. Culture says, hey, you want to know what real love is, genuine love? It is acceptance, and then it is affirmation after you have accepted me. Now, when we hear the word acceptance, and we hear the word affirmation together, the natural reaction is, well, of course. That's, of course that's what love is. Of course that's what we are supposed to do. But let me say this. If we were all humans of virtue, then a love that accepts and affirms would be entirely appropriate. But surely the state of our world today would tell us that we're not all perfect. Surely all we've got to do is turn the news on and we find out that, guess what, every, every marriage isn't just exactly what it should be, including this preacher's right here. And we look out and we see that, no, 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 we're not perfectly virtuous. So the earth is not populated by people of virtue who are quietly fulfilling all that God has called them to. That's not what I see when I look out on the landscape of our world. And so the reality of our position, it's quite different. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God had a standard, every one of us, because we sin, guess what? We come short of that. So we're not all virtuous. We cannot clearly affirm every single person. And so when Jesus came into the world, he used several different analogies to describe me, as well to describe you and our position. We are like sheep that are lost. We are like patients who are sick. He says we are like captives who are bound. We are like offenders who are under a sentence of condemnation. And so if Jesus had embraced the culture's, follow me, the culture's definition of love, he would have come into the world and he would have said something entirely different. He would have said things like, The truth about you is that you were lost. I accept that, and I have come to affirm that. Or he would say something like, the reality of your condition is that you are very sick, and since that's what you are, 
far be it for me to intervene in any way. I affirm you. Jesus would say things like, the explanation of the conflict that you experience in your life is that you have been taken captive. I just want you to know that. I'm acknowledging, I'm accepting you, you are a captive, and now I affirm you, there's nothing that I'm going to do to try to change that in any way. You are under condemnation, and I just want you to know that I accept you, and I affirm the fact that you are condemned. I'm glad that Jesus does not embrace the culture with which they define love and what it means. Jesus did not say, I have come to affirm the lost. Jesus said, I have come to save the lost. We read in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't come to affirm sickness. He came to heal it. He didn't come to affirm captivity. He came to set us free. He didn't come to affirm our condemnation. He came to completely take it away. And we read in John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, I, uh, I affirm you. No. He says it was entirely different. So the biblical understanding of love is very different from the understanding that has been embraced by our culture. You say, Pastor, why'd you, why'd you take this time? Because this is going to go somewhere here in a moment. So let me ask you a question again. What does genuine love look like then? Well, if it doesn't look like the way that the culture defines it, as, hey, just accept me for who I am, and then don't try to change me, because, you know, hey, if you start changing me, you're not loving me. How many people have argued that? And if you really love me, you know, you'll just, if you really love me, not just some future version of me, then you'll be okay with just who I am. Listen, that's the culture's definition, and I'm thankful that Jesus didn't buy into that. So what is it? Let me give you the biblical one. Acceptance and transformation. Here is a love in which the lost are found, the captives are released, the sick are made well, and the condemned are fully pardoned. Jesus does not say, clean up your act, then come to me. Rather, he invites us to come to him, and when, he come, when we come, guess what? Just as we just sang, he accepts us as we are, but thank God he doesn't leave us there, amen? Thank God he brings transformation. Thank God Jesus brings change. Listen, if there's not change going on in our life, you and I, we need to take a step back when you start saying, hey God, am I even listening to you? You're trying to bring change. He brings transformation into our lives. And so let me share with you real quick here three observations about genuine love that accepts and transforms. Let me say number one, genuine love hates what is evil. Verse nine again, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. To abhor means to have a, it's kind of a, a, a whore of something, a, a kind of a, you know, you're just, you're just, you're kind of repulsed by it, okay? I get scared really, really easy, okay? Probably shouldn't have told you that. You just knock on my window. 
I get scared. I'll send Sarah to the door, okay? That's how scared I get. But I remember one time I took some seniors uh, to, a, um, to a senior trip. and we went up to Niagara Falls, and we were staying on the Canadian side. And they had this crazy haunted house there. I mean, it was nuts. It was one of those where you literally had to sign a waiver. If anything happened, there was no lawsuits whatsoever. You know, so, you know, me being the leader, and, you know, Sarah would not even go in there, but me being the leader and macho, you know, I had to, I had to go. You know, somebody had to take these kids. And, you know, I'm around all these, you know, teenagers. You know, they can take on the whole world. You know how that is. You know, our teenagers are just like that. And they have, like, these three different categories. And one was, like, scary, one was, like, super scary, and one was, like, you know, you're going to have to use the restroom. It's so scary. And guess which one they wanted? Just the scary one. No, I'm just kidding. They wanted to wet your pants. I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. I hate this stuff. I can't watch a horror movie. You start playing the music, a pillow's going over my head. I mean, commercials can scare me. How many of you guys remember that commercial? It was like AT&T or something. The phone just kept ringing and had that music. Scared me to death. We signed the waiver. And there's like four guys that are sitting in the lobby. And Mike, they just start laughing at us. I'm like, what have we gotten into? So they slip out of the lobby and they go into this haunted house. It's Canada. They must have different rules. One of the guys, we went into a dark room. I could not even see my hand right here. And there was a guy in there, I am not kidding you, with a horse whip. And he's in this, you could tell he's in the corner. And he's like, get over here. I'm like, no, I'm not going over there. I can't even, I can't even, see, my, I can't even see my hand. Long story short, we made it through. I punched every one of the kids in the face. Said, we're not doing that again. Just kidding, I didn't do that. But I will never do that again. Some of you, there's like this rumor going around here. Hey, let's do like a, you know, like a haunted escape room. Uh-uh. I'll do an escape room. We're not doing a haunted escape room. Scared to death of that. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. That's not so much what to abhor evil means. I said, well, why did you share that story? Because it was great. It's more of you see it and there's, a, there's, like, a, there's like a repulse to it. Now, clearly, I have that with horror things, but it's more than just being scared. It's, it, it's, there's, a, there's a repulseness of that. And hear me, if you love what is good, you're going to be abhorred or you know, re- revolt against the evil that wants to destroy what's good. If you love truth, guess what? You're going to hate lies. If you love peace, then you're going to hate war. To abhor evil is part of loving what is good. Now, notice that God says something in this verse. Talk to me. Let, be, be, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor, what's the next word? Talk to me. That which is evil. Not who is evil. Not them that are evil. No, 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 no. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul pen this. Abhor that which is is evil. Peter Kraft in How to Win the Culture War said, abortionists, homosexual activists, pornographers, school boards, the media are not the enemy. They are victims of our enemy. I mean, let, that, let that sink in for a moment here. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
but against principalities. I want you to read the beginning of that with me. Ready, begin. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Let's say it again. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Don't ever, 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 I was so tempted this week, do not ever put a face to your enemy. You're not fighting against the flesh and the blood. We say, well, man, you don't know that person. You don't know my spouse. Listen, they're not the enemy. We don't fight against this flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness. This is why we engage in the battle by putting on the full armor of God. Because it's not one that we can do this. It's not one that we can do this. No, this is a spiritual, spiritual thing that we're in. It would have been easy for the Christians of Rome to begin to think, man, if we can just get rid of Nero, our problems would be gone. But guess what? Nero wasn't the problem. It was the underlining power that was under Nero. He was being controlled by dark powers. The lyrics from one of the songs that we sing, and I love it, is called, O Church Arise. It says it so well. One of the lines says, Our call to war to love the captive soul and to rage against the captor. Listen, you and I are not called to rage against the captive soul. You're not called to rage against the person. You are called to rage against the one that has that person ensnared. This is our call. This is our war. This is how we are to love without dissimulation, but we are to abhor that which is evil, cleaving to that which is good. Let me make a statement here. It is very difficult to win people to Jesus if you've branded them as the quote-unquote enemy. If they, the person, is the enemy, guess what? What do you want to do with most enemies? Squash them, right? It's hard to preach Jesus to someone that we think is our enemy. Our calling is not to win some sort of culture war. Our calling is to reach out to, to woo, and to seek to win every person to Jesus Christ. And so we see that genuine love, it hates what's evil. But also genuine love begins at home. It begins at home. The text kind of changes here in verse number 10. It says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Now notice the focus here is who we should love. Paul makes a transition from what we should hate to now who we should love. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary on the book of Romans said, it is possible for someone to avoid doing evil things while having great pleasure in them in his mind and in his imaginations. In other words, there's people that be like, I don't dare do that. But man, I wish I could. I don't dare strangle Mike Florendo, but I wish I could. I'm just kidding. I knew he wouldn't be offended by that, so I picked his name. Oh, we'd never do that. Oh, we'd, we'd never say that. We'd never, we'd never go there. But, woo, I sure wish I could. 
Sure wish I could say that, what I want to say. Oh, love. Matthew Mead in the Almost Christian Discovered said, it is less evil to do sin and not to love it than to love sin and not to do it. Let me, let me say that again. The difference is, man, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, just, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you did it. And it's just immediately just, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. To somebody who doesn't ever do it, but they long to do it. They love to do it. Now, I'm not sure Mead is completely accurate in this. I think, I think they're both wrong. Jesus clearly would have said, you know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jesus would, have, Jesus would have said, hey, you know, you've not committed that sin, but you did it in your heart. And so you've committed sin already. You've committed adultery, uses the, that, that, is a, that, that is a frame of reference. But let me make a statement. How easy is it for those who are committed to a chaste lifestyle to hate sexual immorality? How easy is it for those who live a simple lifestyle to hate excess? See, the real challenge is to love the people that God has placed around you. I'm thankful that we're not just all a bunch of lascivious people just living the way we want to do. But sometimes we stand in that standing in Christ, and praise Jesus for that, but real holiness is in Christ. And sometimes we don't love a brother or sister that might still be struggling with that. That might be waffling on these things. The people in your home, at our church, in your workplace, on your street, your calling is to love these people. person to your right, person to your left, the person in front of you, the person behind you, the person five rows behind you. We're called to love these people. Christ calls us to love all people. He's called us in other texts to what? Even love our enemies. Man, loving your enemies is hard, right? And so that's why God, he begins with cultivating a genuine love within his family. Learn to love well by loving our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Listen, other believers, guess what? You stand beside them in grace and you are going to stand beside them in glory. And you and I, we are to learn. It's kind of supposed to be like an incubator of how to love right in here with the people of God so that way when we get out there and it's more antagonistic and it's more brutal and it's more evil, you and I will have learned to love well in these walls right here. I've been moved by seeing how the early church and the early Christians in Rome, they worked out this practice. Some years into the time of Nero, around 165 A.D., uh, they were hit by some series of epidemics. And a sociologist by the name of Robert Stark, he made a study, I'm going to quote him here in a little bit, made a study of these epidemics. And he said that at one point, 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome. 
He said that literally between two out of every three people were dying from these diseases and these epidemics that were spanning the area of Rome between 165 AD and 265 AD. There was about a 100-year period. Imagine your street or imagine the apartment that you live in. Every two out of three houses or apartments or floors, if you want to put it that way, would be completely empty because people were dead. That's what was moving through the time here of when these early Christians were trying to hold dear to the book of Romans. Okay? It would have already been written. We, we went over the, the, the history of that last week. And so Robert Stark, in The Rising of Christianity, he quotes a description of the heroic nursing efforts of early Christians from a letter of a, of a bishop in 260 A.D. Most of our brothers and sister Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never thinking of themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the, by the others with the disease, draw, drowning on them, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Loving people. Now Stark contrasts the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. So when the days get darker, my friend, God says overcome that evil with a love with a love that is genuine. And this is what the early Christians were displaying in Rome. It became obvious that there was a love and where there was not love. And it made an incredible difference. And people began to see the differences because of the incredible darkness of those days. Have you heard the phrase, the darker the night, the brighter what? The light. So as our day gets darker and darker and darker, Hear me, your love is going to seem more radical and more radical and more radical. That's a good thing. The Roman Empire was also a very, it was a place of where human life was placed very low. Stark describes the grim early attempts of abortion, uh, which of course often took a woman's life as well as, the, as well as the child's that she was carrying. And so for that reason, they came up with infanticide, literally where they would, they, they would consume this and the baby would die and the mother would live. Stark said it was common to expose an unwanted infant out of doors, which it could, in principle, be taken up by someone who wished to rear it, but where it typically fell victim to the elements or to animals and birds. Not only was the exposure of infants very common practice, it was justified by law and advocated by philosophers. Plato and Aristotle recommended these types of things to become laws of state. Does that sound familiar, church? 
We're living in a world where every single, not every person, but where so many powerful political, whether it's in, whether it's in Hollywood, and they're saying, hey, it's okay. Let's make it a law. It's kind of like our world today. How are we going to overcome it? How are we going to overcome this evil? Let me give you a quick quote here from a, a letter by, the man, by, by a man named Hilarion. He was probably a Roman soldier, and he was, writing a wife, he was writing to his wife, Alice, who was carrying his child. And before I read this quote, I want, you to, I, I want you to notice how cavalier he is about life if the baby his wife was carrying was a girl. Go ahead, James. Know that this is a letter. Know that I am still in Alexandria. And do not worry if they all come back, other soldiers, and I am still here. I ask and beg you to take good care of our baby son. As soon as I receive payment, I shall send it upon, uh, up to you. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, and if it is of a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. You have sent me word. Don't forget about me. How can I forget about you? I beg you not to worry. He says, hey, take care of that boy. And literally, in the same breath, he says, oh, if it's a girl, just discard it. By the way, you've been concerned with me. Don't worry about me. I still love you. I mean, just so cavalier. All you ladies in here, say amen. Some of you guys, I think it's a guy. I think a guy did that. Wouldn't even be for it. Back in those days. That's the background of what we're reading. And Paul is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and saying, hey, hey, you need to love without dissimulation. You need to abhor that which is evil. You need, to, you need to cleave to that which is good. And you need to be kindly affectioned one to another in this brotherly love. That was early Rome. It was unusual. It was not unusual for babies, especially baby girls, to be left on the streets. And when that happened, it was Christians who often took them in who loved them as their own, and raised them. I have such respect for families that will adopt and that will foster care. Such respect that will take in someone else's child and love them like their own. Aren't you thankful that's how we're taken in with God? Oh, praise God. And so you and I, we gotta, if we're going to have genuine love, we're going to have to hate evil. Hate evil, not the person. The evil, the stuff that's going up, up in our city and the things that they're doing. Listen, listen, they're not our enemies. It's easy to make them our enemy. It's easy to say that they're our enemy. No, 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 we got to love that soul. And let me say thirdly here, genuine love lifts other people up. Almost done. You've listened well. Genuine love lifts other people up. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. This relates to the way in which we speak to one another and the way that we live and interact with the people around us. We live in a culture that thrives on putting people down, do they not? But God says, don't let this be for you. Let You, want to be, you, you need to be different. Christians ought to be different. With all of the good that's come along with social media, you know, the way to stay connected sometimes, uh, sometimes people, people bash on there. People say horrible things. You know, the attack ads and the attack websites still abound in our world today. But the church is called to be something different. Our calling is to lift up Jesus Christ. 
Hear me. See, when that happens, see, people who may have little in common in this world, they are brought together. There is a reason why we will not esteem man here. Because not every man is of, in the stature of the culture, equal. But guess what? When we lift up Jesus, we all come with the exact same baggage. And we will lift him up. We will worship him. We will honor him because it is completely level at the cross. And I'm thankful for that. That we come just as we are and we are ministered to. Christ calls us to be a community of people who lift each other up in a culture where people pull each other down. So let me ask you a question. Does the church do this well? Not always. But, praise God, I believe there's a, believe there's a good culture, but not always. Too often it becomes about us. It becomes about what I want. Sometimes we view church with a consumer mentality. If you come to church with a consumer mentality, guess what? We will then begin to look at church from the eyes of what you think it should be like. Well, I just, you know, it's just, it's not, that's just that way of, you know, that, that new song you sang today, you know, forever, it just, it just didn't sit well with me. You want to know who worship's for? It's for Jesus. And forever he's going to be glorified. And we do sing hallelujah to a God who reigns forever. And so when we are all about what we want, when it becomes all about us, you want to know what really happens? We begin to mirror the world. You know, Christ is the source. He's the help with this type of overcoming living. I want to read a passage to you and I'll be done. It'll be up on the screen. Philippians 2, 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one according of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is what you're called to, church. Christian, this is what you're called to. And you might have been sitting there this morning hearing this message and thinking, this is an impossible call. You are absolutely right. You can't overcome this evil on your own. You can't love and hate that which is evil and not hate the person on your own. You know what you need to do? You need to come. You need to realize that Jesus Christ still is your answer. This is his mind. This is how he loves. He never came to affirm anything. No, no, no. He came to bring transformation 
And the type of love that I've tried to preach this morning is transformational. Is it tough? Absolutely. But that's why we come, like we sang earlier, when we find what we need in Christ to be able to fulfill the commands to love genuinely, to abhor that which is evil, to cling to what is good, to love one another in this room. Say, well, they're, they're not like me. love one another, and then we get to the point where we can say, how can I prefer you over me? How can I try to kind of outdo you on preferring you rather than me? That is so counterculture. Loving genuinely is so counterculture, but Jesus and the word is counterculture. And you can, and I can, overcome a world that is so much like it was back in Rome when those early Christians were literally clinging to the very words of of God as the Apostle Paul penned this. He says, here's how you do it. Do we need to pray? Of course we do. Do we need to infiltrate our world? Of course we do. Do we need to train the next generation what the Word of God is? Of course we do. But listen, you want to know where God started? Hey, why don't you love right? I can say, God, thank you for loving me right. Help me to love in that same way. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I come so short when it comes to even living this message. And yet, God, I know that the grace of rescue is literally one just call away unto the throne room of God. Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd help me to do that today. I pray that you'd help me to do that right now. God, help us to call unto you so that we we can receive help and grace in this great, great time of need. I'm going to give you that same opportunity to call unto the Lord. He can help you to overcome the evil that's all around us.